Turn your Bible, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's been a wonderful hour. Amen. Wonderful. Wonderful. Praise God. I want to speak briefly tonight on a question that is asked or a statement that is made in this passage. We begin in chapter 11, beginning with verse 23. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for what we've experienced. We just thank you for everybody who has gathered together in the house of God tonight. We pray that the Holy Spirit will do his work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 11.23, 1 Corinthians. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many are asleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. If any man hunger, let him eat at home. Ye come not together unto judgment. The rest will I set in order when I come. Would you put a mark on verse 828? Verse 28. Maybe underline it in your Bible. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Very briefly tonight, I want to just ask you... State makes three statements concerning this passage. Number one, we need to examine ourselves in regard to relationship to Jesus Christ. Number two, we need to examine ourselves in regard to fellowship both with Jesus and those with whom we sit tonight. And number three, we need to examine ourselves in regard to ownership. Ownership. First of all, in regard to relationship. Now, Paul was recounting what had happened on the night of the first Lord's Supper. And he gives in sort of detail some of those things. He's talking to the Corinthian Christians, and he says, Now, when we come to the Supper of the Lord, we need to look into our own hearts. Let every man examine himself. Now, we're not to examine others. We're not to sit here and think, well, I wonder if this applies to the person next to me or down the row from me or back in the other place. But let me examine myself. 
And first of all, in regard to relationship, there's a difference between relationship and fellowship. Relationship has to do with our relationship or our, our standing with God through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that we are of our father, the devil. There's not one person in this room tonight who has not had a time in his life when he was of the father, his father, the devil. You see, we're born that way. We're children of wrath. We're not born children of God. We're born selfish, like an ingrown toenail that grows in. We have ingrown spiritual toenails that just grow inside of us. And our thoughts are about ourselves. And will this thing please me? And do I want this? S-I-N spells sin. The middle letter is I. There is no sin without the I. And that's all the problem. I sitting on the throne and Christ over on a cross. Now when I come to Jesus and receive him as my savior, what happens is that I begin to recognize that I'm a sinner, that I deserved death, I deserved hell, I deserve to be cast away forever because I am a sinner. And God is holy, God is righteous, God is just. He cannot stand to look upon sin. The soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap carrion, corrupt flesh. And in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Christ came to die on a cross for our sins because there was none other good enough to pay the price for sin. He only could unlock the door of heaven and let us in. And when the Lord Jesus was dying on the cross, he looked into the face of God the Father and he said, Father, forgive them. Who? Those that were gambling for his garments. Those who had nailed him to the cross. Those whose sins had brought him to the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in that moment, God the Father and God the Son made an eternal agreement that whosoever would believe on Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our relationship with God is restored. The middle wall of partition is torn away. The ordinances that are against us are gone. They're all nailed to the cross. And when we receive Christ as our Savior, then we become related to God by sonship. And I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you a son of God? Are you a son of the devil? Now you may immediately say, well, I haven't done anything so wrong. And I'm not conscious of being a child of the devil. Well, regardless of whether we're conscious of it or not, this book says that men who have not repented of sin are children of wrath, children of enmity, children of the devil. And when you die, you're going to spend eternity with the devil and all of his cohorts, separated from God forever. For example, if you should leave this room tonight without Jesus Christ in your heart, without the blood covenant covering your sins, and you should suddenly have a heart attack, or you get in an accident, 
and you're killed or you become brain dead and you live 10 years brain dead and you die, you're going to hell. You say, preacher, that's, I don't like that. I understand you don't like it. It's not very popular. It's not a very nice thought to think about, but that's what the Word of God says. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper, we need to examine ourselves in regard to our relationship. Am I positive beyond the shadow of a doubt that I have repented of my sin, turned away from sin, and turned to Christ? If not, then of course, I can't take the Lord's Supper, and I have no hope for eternity. I'm of all men most miserable. But you see, the Holy Spirit comes and knocks on your heart's door and he says, wait a minute, I love you, God loves you, Jesus loves you, and he wants to come into your heart and he wants to change all of that tonight and you can be related to God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second question, but let every man examine himself in regard to his fellowship, his fellowship. Now the Lord's Supper is a fellowship supper. It is both a memorial supper and a fellowship supper. It is a time when we come together in fellowship with the Lord Jesus and in fellowship with the people with whom we sit tonight. Both doctrinal and spiritual fellowship. That is, we're united in a quiet confidence that this is the Word of God. And what it says and what it teaches, I'm gonna say I believe that. I just believe it, I accept it. I may not understand it all, but I accept it. Now it's simple to understand two times two is four. But I wanna ask you how many of you can understand the national debt tonight? Somebody said, and I heard this, that if you would take a thousand dollar bill and you would stack those thousand dollar bills up to equal the national debt, the thousand dollar bills would have to go 67 miles in the air to equal the trillions of dollars we owe in the national debt. I don't understand that. Blows my mind, but it's true. It's real. There are things in the Bible I don't understand. They're real, they're true, and we need to believe them and receive them. And so the fellowship has to do, are we in fellowship with the Word of God, with what God teaches? Are we in fellowship with the Lord God Himself? Or are we mad at God? Sometimes suffering comes. Sometimes hardships come. And we say, if God's gonna be like that, I'm not gonna serve Him. If He's gonna let me lose my job, have financial tough times, lose somebody close to me, let somebody be stricken with cancer or some terrible disease, and uh, they've never done anything wrong, God, why would you let that happen? I'm not gonna love you. And so we have enmity in our heart, a breaking of fellowship with God. When we come to the Lord's Supper, we need to be in fellowship with God, doctrinally, spiritually. Is there a controversy between our heart and God? This book says, in the times of ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth he all men everywhere to repent. Have we repented? And repentance is not just a doctrine for lost people, it's a doctrine for saved people. When we do things that are wrong, we need to repent. When we've broken God's law, when we've broken somebody else's heart, when we've hurt someone, when we've been ugly, when we've been rude, when we've, we've held a grudge, we need to repent of that, turn away from it, so that we have fellowship, not only with God, but with one another. 
in 1 John chapter 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So the question tonight is, are we in fellowship, first of all, with the Lord? God says, I am holy, be ye holy. Is it the goal of our heart to be holy, to be set apart to God, to say, Lord, use me? I want you to use me. I want you to have me. The Word of God tells us to repent. Have we repented of our sins? Jesus said we're to love our neighbor as ourself. That's a tough assignment. Some neighbors aren't so lovable. But we need to do it anyway. Why? Because God said that. Jesus said to do it. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to love the Lord God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. That's the, that's the total totality of the commandments. Ten commandments are divided into two sections. Our relationship to God and our relationship to each other. And Jesus summed it all up by saying, you're to love the Lord God and you're to love each other. Where does love come in our fellowship tonight? Do we really love each other? Or do we just tolerate each other? You know, sometimes Christians can get in a kickative mood. We can get in a resentful attitude so that we don't really love like we ought to love. When we come to the Lord's Supper, every man examine himself. Are we really in fellowship with one another? There's not anybody in this room who has not been hurt by someone else. Nobody. Also, there's nobody in this room who has not hurt somebody else. Sometimes we hurt them because we meant to. Sometimes we hurt them inadvertently. We didn't mean to at all. Do we hold grudges against one another over those things? When we look at somebody, do we see in our mind's eye, boy, I tell you, I can't hardly tolerate that person. I remember what he did 10 years ago. Or do we have a loving forgiveness that says, I don't even remember what that was. Somebody comes and says, I want to apologize to you. What for? Why well, I hurt you a few years ago. I don't remember that. I don't remember you hurting me. Because you see, we forgive because we've been forgiven. We come to the Lord's table. Are we in fellowship, first of all, with the Lord? Do we believe what he says? He says, I am able to save you to the uttermost all who will come to God by me. He says, I am able to save you forever. Is there someone who says, well, I believe Jesus can save me for a little while, but I have to keep myself saved by the way I live. You know, lots of folks don't come to Christ because they're afraid they can't hold out. Beloved, we don't have to hold out. He does the holding. You go down on a busy street. You take your little child. There's a, there was a couple here this morning who had a little girl named Amber. And I could just see them taking that little girl down the street. And if, when Amber learns to walk better, and they take her down the street, cross the busy street, and they say, now, Amber, hold on to daddy, hold on to mama. You might say that, but that's not what you mean. You get hold of their hand, and you hold on to them as you cross that busy street, because you know foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and that child might just dart out away from you. That's what Jesus does. And I want to guarantee you, if you've never come to him and trusted him as your savior, don't stay away from him because you're afraid you can't hold out. You'll never be able to hold out, but he'll hold you. 
And he says, I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. Behold, I put you in my father's hand and no man is able to pluck you out of my father's hand. A few years ago, uh, Sanford Davis gave me this beautiful watch and I like it. He's moved away. He's one of our deacons. He's moved to, to Illinois. I like this watch. I put it in my hand and I put my hand on it. If there's somebody bigger than I am, you can come up here and uh, take that watch away from me. You can pry my hand open and steal it away from me. If you're not bigger than I am, you can't do that. Now the Bible says, my father is greater than all. No man is able to pluck you out of my father's hand. Are you in the father's hand tonight? If you are, thank God. If there's a tinge in your thought that says, well, I don't know whether God can really keep me forever. Why don't you let God change your mind about that tonight and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust him to forgive my sins and to save me and keep me saved and take me safely across to heaven's shore one day. The third question. But let every man examine himself in regard to ownership. Who owns you? Now really, who owns you? Husband, you don't own your wife. Wife, you don't own your husband. You just think you do. You don't. Did you know that no person can ever be owned by another person? Now you can own a dog. You can own a horse, you can own a house, you can own a car, you can own a farm, you can own a cat, I don't know why you would, but you could never own another person, never. He is our God. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. If you're God's property, if you've been saved, then you're owned by God. That means everything you have owned is owned by God. That means we need to be worthy stewards. Stewards of our talents. How can I dare take the talents that God might have given me? Don't have very many, but how could I take those talents and proffer them before the devil? I've used this illustration a lot of times, and I, I, some of you don't like it. God bless you anyway. Elvis Presley was one of the greatest singers that ever lived. Beautiful voice, beautiful voice. If you didn't think he had a beautiful voice, you don't have good taste. He had a beautiful voice. He began singing gospel songs in a church in West Tennessee. That's all he sang. Till one day somebody said, hey Elvis, why don't you try this song? It's a popular song. And he didn't have any convictions about it because he'd never heard it preached. And he began to sing those popular love songs. He liked them. Pretty soon he developed into, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. And on and on and on. And he started the sex revolution. Now, I don't know whether Elvis was a Christian or not. I know he started out well. He started out in church. I used to hear him sing gospel in West Tennessee. I could weep over what happened to him. He went on and on and on 
climbing the ladder, making millions and millions and millions, and died young. And he's remembered today, not for his gospel songs, or some of you may have some albums with those beautiful songs on it, but he's remembered today as the one who opened the door to sexual impurity. Dear Elvis took the wonderful talent God gave him and gave it to the world. Beloved, if you've got some talents, they belong to God. He's the owner. He owns them. If you can sing, sing to Him. If you have money, if God's given you the ability to make money, remember that that money gift was just a stewardship talent that God gave you. It does not belong to you. R.J. Letourneau taught me so much. I can see him right now leaning back against his factory and putting his, head, his, hand, his foot back on the brick wall and just laughing. And he said, I went broke at 40. I went into partnership with God and God began to give me pictures in my mind of great earth moving equipment. And I said, Lord, if you will help me, I'll give to you a tenth of everything that comes to me and I'll be a good steward. And God began to let him be a good steward. And when I saw him, he was 85 years old. He just laughed and he said, I've learned now I can live on 10% and I give God nine, 90% of everything that comes to me. Who owns what you've got in the bank? Who owns it? Who owns your gifts, your talents? Who owns it? When we come to the Lord's Supper, we need to examine our heart. You're not gonna take it with you. I've had a lot of funerals. I've looked at a lot of shrouds. I've looked at a lot of suits. And one day I asked the undertaker, wealthy man, this was crazy for me to do. I said, sir, how much money has he got in his pockets? Oh, he just laughed at me. He said, that man doesn't have anything. He has millions down at the bank, but he doesn't have anything in his pocket. He had to leave it all. Who did he leave it to for people to squabble over? You know, a lot of people forget their church. They just forget it. They say, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give my money to some college or that's all right. I'll give my money to some uh, uh, children's homes. There, they're in need. Or I'll give my money here or there. All those are good causes. But have you ever thought a living memorial given to your church would make your name go on and on and on and on here in the earth and over in heaven. Who owns what you have? Who owns what you are? Who owns this body of yours? Is it really yours to feed it with cigarettes and tobacco and cigars and pipes? Is that body really yours so you can do that with it and cough yourself to death? I visited folks in the hospital <coughs> and they're dying of lung cancer, still smoking. One of our dear ladies some years ago died of lung cancer. She never smoked at all, but she worked in a place where everybody around her smoked. And one day she joked them and said, I'm going to die of lung cancer if all y'all smoke. And she did.
Is this body yours to do what you want, what you want to? Is this body yours to give it gonorrhea and syphilis and run the risk of AIDS? Is it really yours? Who owns you? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, we need to think. Let every man examine himself as to ownership. Who owns me? No other person can own you, but God owns you through Jesus Christ. Now I want to ask you in closing, have you examined yourself in regard to relationship? Are you really the child of God through Jesus Christ? Secondly, have you examined yourself in regard to fellowship? Are you in fellowship with Jesus? Are you in fellowship with one another, doctrinally, spiritually? Have you said, Lord, I'm not my own. I belong to you. You made me. A little boy and his daddy built a little boat. They used to go down to the lake and uh, they put that boat on a little string and it would go out and out and then they'd bring it back. And that little boy, Johnny, was so proud of his boat. He loved it. He, 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 it was so good. He just loved it. And, and every time he could, he'd go with his daddy down to the lake and they'd, they'd see that boat go out and then they'd pull it back. And one day as they were out there, the winds were sort of high. And Johnny had hold of the rope, the string, and the boat, that beautiful little boat, went out and dashed in the waves and he lost control of the string. And it got away from him. And he saw the boat go on and on and on out. Well, Johnny cried. It hurt him. His little boat that he loved so much was gone. Months went by. About a year later, they were in another city, also on that lake. And they went in a pawn shop. And they saw a little boat. And Johnny said, Daddy, that's my boat. That's my boat. And the owner said, no, that's not your boat. This boat belongs to me. I bought it. Oh, that's my boat. I made it. And the daddy said, sir, how much would you take for that boat? And the man gave him a price. And the daddy, because he loved his little boy, and he loved the boat too. He forked over the money. And the little boy got that boat in his hands and in his arms. And he went out the door. He said, little boat, I love you. I made you, and now I've bought you. Now, beloved, that's what God did. God made us, and then at Calvary, He bought us with His own blood. Are you willing to say tonight, Lord, as I examine my heart, I want you to own me, and I give myself to you. May we pray, every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth from the Word of God. And as we come to the Lord's Supper tonight, help us to look deep in our hearts as we examine ourselves in, re in regard to our relationship to Jesus, our, our fellowship with Him and with each other, and the ownership of our lives. Lord, 
anyone in this place tonight who has examined his heart and found that there needs to be some changes. Help them to be willing to make those changes tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and turn to page 146. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. Very briefly in the invitation, listen. If God has spoken to your heart about anything tonight and you've heard him, as you've examined your heart, you've looked inside in regard to your relationship to God, in regard to your fellowship with God and with each other, and with other people, other Christians, and you've also examined yourself in regard to ownership, and you feel there's a need, why not have that need met tonight? You say, but I'm not sure how to do that. I'm not sure I can really trust the Lord. See, trusting Jesus means to believe upon him, to trust him. For example, I see this chair over here. I believe it can hold me. I'm sure it can hold me. I believe it, but it doesn't hold me until I sit That's the way it is with Jesus. You can believe all about him. You can believe that he is real, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead. He's coming again. You can believe he's God, but not until you trust him with your sins and trust him with your heart and your life and trust him to keep you safe. Nothing that you do, but everything he did. Not until then are you saved. Will you trust him tonight? Will you let him be your owner? Let him do whatever he wants to do in your life. While we begin to sing, Jesus paid it all. I want to meet you right down here. I'll be standing here.